Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Almost there, boys. Oh my god. Getting close. Two weeks. The old switcheroo. <laughs> Hopefully last week you enjoyed our little best of episode. Uh, but it was a long weekend and we were out of town. Just having a good grand old time, you know? Yeah. Didn't get around to finish writing or recording, so you got a best of and hopefully you liked it. Yeah. I want to listen to that one again. Can't. Talk project. Yeah, I can't hear when the Montauk project. Yeah. I go listen to it again, make sure it's still good. <laughs> now that we've released it again. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're discussing Flying Tiger Line Flight 739. Flying Tiger Line. Line. Oh. Line like airline. Line. Flying Tiger Line Flight 739. That disappeared over the Western Pacific Ocean in March 1962. Hmm. Now, I'm going to talk about quite a few locations. So there will be a map of all of the spots I'm talking about, the stops that this plane is going to be making and stuff like that. That will be on our Instagram at Dark Adaptation Podcast. So uh, why don't you go over there, follow us, and uh, check out that map just so you can follow along, see where we're going. So uh, let's start by getting to know this aircraft. <laughs> Flying Tiger Lion. <laughs> <laughs> Flying Tiger Lion was a scheduled air carrier founded in 1945 and incorporated in the state of Delaware with its principal business office in Burbank, California. Okay, well, everyone knows we have to do this now. Okay. Hi. I'm in Delaware. Thank you. I was like, if he does not make a Wayne's World joke at Delaware, <laughs> we're breaking up. <laughs> it was one of the largest military charter operators during the Cold War era for both cargo and personnel. Flight 739, which is the flight that we're focusing on today, was a Lockheed aircraft, specifically a L-1049 Super Constellation Airliner. These names are fucking sick. I know. Flying Tiger Line. Um, I think... Super Constellation. If you always were, like, flying this line or, like, affiliated with it in whatever way, people would say they're, it was just the Flying Tigers. <laughs> mm, that's sick. But yeah, Super Constellation. So when I talk about the plane... I'll probably just say, like, Flight 739 or, say, Super Constellation. Switch between the two. Now you know. This model was introduced in December 1951 and produced specifically for the United States Navy and the U.S. Air Force for transport, electronics, and airborne early warning and control. Flight 739 was Super Constellation N6921C. And she was manufactured on May 19th, 1957. Hmm. So, um, like I said, this story is taking place in March 1962. So this plane, the Super Constellation, is only five years old. But she was impeccably maintained. And she had 17,224 flying hours under her belt. Wow. So she was well-traveled. So uh, our story begins on March 14th, 1962, and this super constellation had been chartered by the U.S. Army for military air transport. The total number of people aboard Flight 739 was 107, 96 passengers, and 11 crew members. So the crew were all California-based civilians and consisted of three pilots, two flight engineers, two navigators, and four stewardesses. 
stewardesses, stewardesses. <laughs> for, for stewardesses. Stewardesses. The flight was under the command of Captain Greg. <laughs> Captain Gregory P. Thomas. <laughs> so Captain Greg. Captain Greg. Captain oh, Gregory. Captain Greg of the Flying Tigers. Flying Tiger. Captain Greg at your service. Sick. <laughs> Captain Gregory P. Thomas. So Captain Thomas was an experienced pilot who had been employed with the Flying Tigers since July 7th, 1950. So that's almost 12 years. So mm -hmm. he was with them for a while. He had uh, 19,500 flying hours. Holy shit. Yes. And three over 3,500 of those hours were in Lockheed 1049 aircrafts. So super constellations. So he's not new to it. No, he's like, bruh, I got like closer to 4,000 flying hours in yeah, this no plane. no cap. <laughs> bet. No cap bet for reals. For reals is no cap. Lit. Fucking lit, fam. So. <laughs> just lost all our listeners. I hate myself. <laughs> I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Captain Greg, Captain Thomas, you know, he was a seasoned and trusted pilot. This guy knows how to fly a fucking super constellation. 93 of the 96 passengers were members of the U.S. Army, most of which were electronic and communication specialists, and the remaining three passengers were members of the South Vietnam Armed Forces. Okay. The flight was headed to Ten Son Nut International Airport in Saigon, South Vietnam, with orders to relieve soldiers who had been training South Vietnamese troops to fight the Viet Cong guerrilla force, who were supported by the North Vietnamese Army. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you know about the Vietnam War. Oh, I know that you play Fortunate Son whenever you mention it. Okay. Da -da. Da -da. Da -da. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, so at this point in time, because it's during the Vietnam War, Vietnam was split into two. There's like the North, North Vietnam, Vietnam, South Vietnam. Mm -hmm. North was communist, South yeah. wasn't. So we didn't like that. And they were fighting. Yeah, the U.S. saw that and was like, Absolutely not. Yeah, because it's Cold War as well. It's Cold War era. So there's a huge resistance from places like America for more communist nations to mm -hmm. keep growing. So they were like, um, let's go and base ourselves over there in South Vietnam and fight the communist yeah. Vietnam. So yeah, they were very much infiltrating the area. Yep. And I didn't know that Vietnam... Nam war was technically not a war because war was never declared. It was it's like called the Vietnam War, but war was never declared. They're just over there fighting. Oh, right. Well, okay. Is that like is that like having a thumb war, but you don't do the one two three four? I declare thumb war, so it's not technically legal. I guess so. Not yeah. An official, not official war. You know. Yeah. Right. So like when I was reading it on uh, Britannica, which is like my favorite site. I love Britannica. Mm -hmm. It said the US has only declared war six times and like three of those times were during World War II. They never declared war for the for NAM. So <laughs> <laughs> those technicalities where it's like we now have to call it a conflict because we don't want to admit what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um yeah, I uh, just wanted to say that because I didn't know that. I didn't, I don't really know anything about the war in Vietnam. So as I was reading it, I was just like, wait, they had Vietnamese soldiers on their plane? That's so strange. Weren't we fighting? Like, was the U.S. fighting them? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. It was divided. Mm -hmm. North and South. North is communist. South is not. So U.S. was working with South Vietnam troops to fight the Viet Cong guerrilla force who were supported by the North Vietnamese Army. And that's why uh, this flight was going over there. Okay. Like, we got to go and relieve some soldiers, man. It's our turn to get in there and start training, fighting. Training, fighting. 
train fighting. I know a lot about war. <laughs> so after a meticulous search of every person and their luggage, the passengers and crew boarded Flight 739 at Travis Air Force Base in Fairfield, California, and departed at 545 GMT on March 14th, 1962. So GMT is Greenwich Mean Time. And because we're in the 60s, GMT was used as like the standard time when you're, um, I guess, making reports or tracking or whatever, then you go off of like this London based time. Okay. So anytime I use is GMT, GMT. but it doesn't really matter because we're just starting here at 545 and that's how we're like keep track of it because this flight starts in California and it's going all the way across the Pacific into like um, Vietnam, right? So mm-hmm. they're going through all these time zones. So they just keep it GMT. Okay. Just to like better track it. Yeah. So there was four planned refueling stops with the first being at Honolulu International Airport in Hawaii. I love the word Honolulu. <laughs> Honolulu. I was going to say it's lit, but like it literally is right now. So it's not really in taste. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) The plane landed in Honolulu at 1744 GMT the same day. And that's a long ass flight. That's a 12 hour flight. Just straight shot across the fucking ocean over to Hawaii. (laughs) Minor maintenance was needed on the ignition systems of cylinder 18 on engine one and cylinder six on engine three where several coils, leads, and spark plugs were replaced. Now, I wish I knew more about planes, and if this really is minor maintenance, mm-hmm. and if it's even, like, a normal maintenance to have to conduct at a stopover for fuel, because that's what everything is saying. is like, this is just minor maintenance. And I'm like, well, you had to replace leads and coils and spark plugs mm-hmm. on multiple engines that needed to be checked? Like, okay, I don't know if that's minor maintenance. Yeah. Any plane mechanics out there? (laughs) Is this minor maintenance? Is this normal? Flight 739 was delayed for an additional 30 minutes because of complaints by the stewardesses concerning inadequate crew rest facilities on board. So basically, there should have been, because there's four stewardesses, there should have been two passenger seats reserved for them so that during the flight they can rotate between the two of them sitting and whatever Mm -hmm. but there was only one seat for them to share so when they arrived in honolulu the senior stewardess was like protesting like there's only one fucking seat for the 12-hour flight for us to sit in yeah (laughs) like our feet are killing us yeah or we're sitting on the fucking floor so they were given a mattress to sit on (laughs) Okay. <laughs> and it was like crammed into this little like basically crawl space on the plane. Wow. Yeah. So after almost three hours, flight 739 departed Honolulu at 2040. 2040. Is there like a way to say Because it's 24 hour clock. Yep. Is there a way to say 2040? Do you just say 2040? It's like 2040 hours. <laughs> I think it's just 2040. I think you're right. Like, oh, you're like 2100 hours. Yeah. And that's like, uh, but it's not nine, nine o'clock. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, no. No, I don't think so. After flying just over seven hours, Flight 739 made its second refueling stop at Wake Island Airfield at 354. GMT on March 15th. The plane was refueled and again minor maintenance was needed, this time on cylinders 2, 15, and then 18 again of engine 1 and cylinder 4 on engine 3. And coils, leads, and spark plugs were again replaced. So, like, is this normal? Do this... you have to replace it that much too? This seems crazy. It doesn't seem normal. It's weird. But in the reports, reading through the investigation that was done, it's like, this is normal. That's what they keep saying. It's normal. It's minor maintenance. It's good they caught it. There's nothing wrong with this. It's a long fucking flight. I'm just like, I don't, I wish I knew more about planes. Mm 
-hmm. Like, I don't know if that's a normal amount of maintenance. Yeah. During this stop, the four stewardesses disembarked the plane and swapped with four others. And they're probably like, how fucking fun. You'll be sitting on a mattress. Stinks. There's so many farts lodged into that thing by now. <laughs> and they're on board with, because they're the only women. It was four women, mm -hmm. um, obviously stewardesses. And that means, what, 103 people are all men? 103 men, four women. Yep. They're probably like, it stinks in there. <laughs> Those military boys are stinking. It's <laughs> like a sweaty hamster in there. But yeah, they're just like, fucking peace out, have fun, one seat and a mattress. Yep. Enjoy the rest of your flight. So um, after roughly an hour and 20 minutes, flight 739 departed from Wake Island Airfield at 0515. After flying six hours, flight 739 made its third refueling stop at Anderson Air Base in Guam at 11.14. The Super Constellation was inspected. Everything appeared fine. There was no mechanical work needed this time around, which is good because if it was like again. <laughs> I would have been like something's fucking up the spark this... plugs then. Something... Well, everything. These engines... Spark plugs, coils, leads. Mm -hmm. What the hell's going on here? After, um, so yeah, this, this time around, they got their fuel, no problem, no maintenance is needed. After roughly an hour and 45 minutes, the flight departed uh, the Guam airbase at 12.57 en route to its final refueling point, which was supposed to be Clark Air Base in the Philippines. At 13.25, Captain Thomas contacted Guam International Flight Service Station. If I, I don't know if I have to say that again, but if I do, I'm just going to say Guam IFSS. <laughs> <laughs> so he requested a change in altitude from 10,000 to 18,000 feet. And he didn't give a reason for the change but he was directed to contact Guam Center for permission instead of the Guam IFSS. Uh, so he did, and he was granted permission to change to a higher altitude. About an hour later, at 14.22, Captain Thomas radioed a routine check-in message to give his position, which was 280 nautical miles, or 520 kilometers, or 320 miles west of Guam. And that's where they had last refueled. They had eight hours and 12 minutes of fuel remaining, and it was estimated they would arrive at their final refueling location at Clark Air, Air Base in the Philippines at 1916. So that was all well and fine. That's a standard uh, message to receive from the captain. Guam IFSS confirmed this message and later stated Captain Thomas was fine and gave no indication of any difficulty on board. There was no trouble. It was just routine. Mm -hmm. Around 1530, the Guam IFSS experienced temporary communication difficulties with heavy radio static due to another flight in the area. So at 1539, the Guam radio operator attempted to contact flight 739 to obtain its 1530 position report. It's okay. like 1530 is when we should have got the report. We had all that static. We were communicating with another plane. We're nine minutes late, but um, we're checking in. We need your status. Mm -hmm. Despite numerous attempts, radio contact could not be established. After radio operators failed to establish contact with Flight 739 and it failed to land at Clark Air Base to refuel at the estimated arrival time of 1916, search and rescue operations were initiated at 1943 by the Joint Rescue Coordination Center at the Agana Naval Air Station in Guam in conjunction with Clark Joint Air Rescue Center at Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. Okay. So, t 
two, basically two search and rescue operations from the Philippines and from Guam mm-hmm. came together and they're like, it's been half an hour. This plane was supposed to land for more fuel. It hasn't. Let's go. Yeah. At 22.27, the aircraft was officially declared missing and um, it's a ran- like, seems like such a random time, but it. They picked 2227 as the official declaration that this flight is missing because this is when the fuel would have been exhausted. Oh, okay. Because it had to obviously land in the Philippines for more fuel. So they were searching for like, I guess, three hours, a little over three hours. Mm-hmm. Plane never landed. And they're like, okay, we have to declare it missing because it doesn't have fuel anymore. Can't go anymore. Yeah. Plane can't go. I can't. Can't go. No fuel. Plane not up. Probably down. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh-oh. I don't know. It's disappeared. Could be gliding now. United States Navy officials reported that they believed that the aircraft had crashed closer to Guam than the Philippines based on the flight's trajectory, its last known location, and the time communications used, all of that, so... Whatever fucking math they do to determine where the flight went down, mm-hmm. closer to Guam than to the Philippines. The Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, and Marines ordered aircraft and ships to the area to assist in what they hoped was a search and rescue effort. The first day of searching continued overnight. Over the first two days of the search, vessels searched 75,000 square miles. Or 190,000 square kilometers of ocean. Then they, because they had so many um, vessels out there. I I read a newspaper article and I think it was 153 vessels. And they were doing this like crisscross sort of pattern where they were all designated an area and they were just searching. Yeah, that makes sense. God, that's going to be such a fucking. Oh my God, I know. There's so. When America's at war, like, all their ships are probably up there. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, take the whole fucking fleet. Let's go. Yeah. Plus, a lot of the places that they're landing for fuel is, like, specifically air bases, U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, Navy, Air Force bases and stuff. So, mm-hmm. and these are, like, the main islands on the way. So, yeah, they definitely have a fleet of vessels, whether it's air or ship. Mm-hmm. In the area. So yeah, that was a huge effort being made to find this plane and all of its passengers. And officials also gathered to do a step-by-step, quote, refly of the route that Flight 739 had taken. Did they, they just tried the proverbial, have you tried retracing your steps? Yes. Like they're finding lost keys? Yes, they did. <laughs> they were like, this is a great idea because then we'll find clues as to where this plane vanished to. What do they expect to find? Like some floating in the air? I have no idea. Yeah. I think they just... They didn't know. They're like, yeah. how can it just disappear? Yeah. Like, I guess we'll just do this. Mm-hmm. Let's refly. It, it, it uh, didn't really turn up anything. No. <laughs> Search efforts included aircraft from Clark Airfield, the United States 7th Fleet, the Air Force Detachment at... Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, Japan, and numerous ships and aircraft from various U.S. bases in the Western Pacific. Like mm-hmm. I basically just said in so many words. Yeah. So I, I just am better at writing than I am at speaking, you know? Oh, same. But like, to a worse degree. <laughs> <laughs> so naturally, everyone wanted to know where the flight went. What happened? All of that. They're like, how the fuck is a plane with 107 people just gone? It's yeah. just gone? This plane was full of military personnel en route to Vietnam. Yeah. Like, what? Where's this plane? At Wake Island Airfield, the super constellation had filled up on nine and a half hours worth of fuel. So a lack of fuel shouldn't have caused a problem at the time that it had last communicated and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it had hours worth of fuel. Yeah. It was also well below the allowable 
gross weight. So apparently uh, when it took off from uh, Guam, it weighed 132,554 pounds. And the maximum was 141,845 pounds. So that is well below. Yeah. And all of the weight, including the fuel, had been evenly distributed. So the center of gravity wasn't impacted at all. Like, mm-hmm. it was it was good. Yeah. At the time of the disappearance, the sky was clear and the sea was calm. So a natural disaster was unlikely. Mm-hmm. And records indicate that no turbulence occurred or was expected on this flight path. So they're just at this point don't know what happened, but they can start ruling out what didn't happen. Right. Okay. Did so they're just <laughs> I was like, did that make sense? Yes, it did. <laughs> so they're just figuring out they're like, okay, well it definitely wasn't these things. It couldn't so have what was it? couldn't have run out of fuel. We know that. Yeah. Uh it's like when a car like like imagine someone's driving from point A to point B and they're like, Okay, well it didn't get to point B you can easily rule out like, well, it wasn't gas because it was a full tank and it's like four kilometers away. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, they're just kind of. Like, yeah. It's not raining. Uh, I didn't pop my tire. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, they're like, this thing had a fuck ton of fuel. It was well below the weight. Weather wasn't bad. Well maintained, as we know, it literally has been having maintenance. Mm-hmm. So airline officials uh, told the media about the same. They're like, well, we know it wasn't these things, but like, we don't know where it is. Yeah. And they were also telling the media how they're vigorously searching and investigating what happened because they were like, they were fucking out there searching. Mm-hmm. But they did pose a theory as to the fate of the plane. And they said that they were not ruling out that foul play was involved. They suggested this as a possibility because flight 739 was one of two flying Tiger Line flights with military connections that had been involved in incidents on the same day. On the same day? On the same day. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So both Flight 739 and the other aircraft, which was also a uh, super constellation, so Mm -hmm. they're the same planes. Um, I'll say Flight 739 about the one that we're talking about. And with this other flight, I'll just call it the cargo plane. Okay. So... Both Flight 739 and the cargo plane departed from Travis Air Force Base in California uh, around the same time. So they both left. And this was on Wednesday, March 14th. And they had both encountered, quote, difficulties. (laughs) So as we know, Flight 739 was en route to South Vietnam by heading west straight across the Pacific Ocean. But the second flight, the cargo flight, was headed north. Um, to go Alaska way. Okay. So some reports. The shittier way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to piece together like. Why? Like, is there a reason that that would happen? But. So some reports say that this cargo plane was carrying, quote, secret military cargo. And others just say it wasn't a secret. It's military gear and supplies. It's cargo. Mm-hmm. And it is going to the same place. It's also going to Saigon. But regardless of what it's carrying, it's cargo. And it had to go this designated route north, likely because of what it's carrying. So if there's supplies in there that are combustible or they're explosive or they're more mm-hmm. sensitive or whatever, it can't travel with regular passengers. It has to just be designated cargo plane. Yep. And then depending on what the material is that it's transporting, it could be subjected to more frequent check-ins and um, that means that it has to stop more. And if you're going across the Pacific Ocean, you can't just stop. Like, yeah. like it took 12 hours just to get to Honolulu. Yeah. So it has to go more north because then it, there's so many places that it can stop. So if it goes by route of Alaska, there's like off the coast of mainland Alaska, there's like a stretch of islands that is more places this flight could stop. Yeah. So, so if it's, yeah, plus like it's, I was going to say it's probably logistics. Like it makes sense too because like military equipment's expenses. What the fuck? <laughs> it's expensive as shit. And I was going to say like if you're flying it by the coast, like one, you're not over civilians, obviously, but um, it's also right there. 
if they need to go pick it up if it like crashed they're gonna be like we know exactly where that is we're not searching the pacific ocean we're searching our shoreline i love how they're with the cargo's more precious than oh, their soldiers fuck yeah it was they wouldn't have <laughs> sent their fucking soldiers over if they thought otherwise <laughs> oh, so sad yeah so yeah that's probably why these two flights even though they're going to the same place they're part of the same quote mission uh that's why they flying different routes apparently you know i don't fucking know mm-hmm. i wasn't there so it's just what i can piece together based on old newspapers i wasn't there man what the fuck do you want from me <laughs> 1962 i don't remember it so the cargo plane had crashed on the uh water adak adak i don't know adak islands off the coast of mainland alaska and it had caught fire and this fire killed one of the men on board i don't know how many men there were but it was just a cargo plane so i think it was a smaller crew yeah um and like I said, this is on the same day that Flight 739 seemingly vanished. And the cause of this of this crash with the cargo plane was not really discussed. It's not reported on in newspapers. I don't know if that's just because it was overshadowed by the fact that Flight 739 is literally missing. Mm-hmm. And resources were being put into that more. And media coverage was more about the missing flight. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, exact same plane model on the same mission carrying cargo whether it's secret military cargo or not it's carrying a fuck ton of stuff for the military mm-hmm. crashes on like an isolated island and kills a man on the same yeah. day that the same other plane the other plane goes missing mm-hmm. the same other plane <laughs> in the statement released to the media Flying Tiger Line stated that the two occurrences could be connected by a conspiracy to sabotage or hijack the planes. But this is all just them being like, listen, we're running with our whatever we can here because we have no fucking idea what's going on. Yeah. Now, that's basically all I have to say about the cargo plane that crashed in Alaska. Mm -hmm. So we'll go back to Flight 739. And officials received word that a message had been received by McKay Radio in Manila, which is in the Philippines, from a tanker crew about what they saw over the Pacific Ocean around the time that the super constellation vanished. Okay. You got that? You look confused. Yeah, no, I was picturing in my head, imagine seeing something go wrong I know. with a plane while you're sitting in the tanker in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I would shit. I know. I'd be like, those poor fucks. <laughs> It would be wild. It would be it would be fucking crazy. Yeah. So this crew was aboard the super tanker. Also, I don't know what it is, but they love a super, super constellation, super love, tanker. They do love super tankers, super constellation. God. Yeah. So this um, ship is a super tanker. It's called the SSTL Lenzen. And the crew aboard this tanker observed what appeared to be a midair explosion approximately 500 miles west of Guam, which lines up with where Flight 739 would be because this was at uh, around midnight local time and it lines up with what the last message was sent by Captain Thomas and the estimated trajectory, all of that. So the Civil Aeronautics Board, which I'm just going to call CAB, Okay. Civil yeah. Aeronautics. Thank you. <laughs> Civil Aeronautics Board. I can't keep saying that. Yeah. Cab. Yeah. They were a part of this investigation into the plane's disappearance. So they go and they interview the crew members from the tanker who witnessed the supposed midair explosion. And the crew said that around 1530 or midnight local time, the tanker. What the heck did I write here? <laughs> around 1530. The same time radio frequency goes haywire. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> I was going haywire. <laughs> it's everything I already said. Yeah. Around the-, the radio frequency, the fucked up. They mm-hmm. kind of lost the plane at that point. Mm-hmm. So now you kind of wonder like, hey, well, maybe the whole radio frequency haywire was. um. It's weird. Related to the boom. Oh my god, maybe? Yeah. I didn't even put that together, but totally. Yeah. 
So, yes, around 1530, this tanker crew observes what they see is, uh, what they say is a vapor trail or, quote, some other phenomena resembling a vapor trail. Right over our country club. It was weird. <laughs> Jim wrote a song about it. You want to hear? <laughs> the vapor trail passed behind a cloud and then an explosion occurred, which was described as, quote, intensely luminous with a white nucleus surrounded by a reddish orange periphery with radial lines of identically colored lights. The crew said it was a quote, bright light strong enough to light the ship's decks. Okay. The report from the tanker crew goes on to say, quote, the explosion occurred in two pulses lasting between two and three seconds. And from it, two flaming objects of unequal brightness and size apparently fell at disparate speeds into the sea. During the last 10 seconds of the fall of the slower of the two objects, a small bright target was observed on the ship's radar. Okay. That fucking thing split in half midair? Apparently. Oh. And something blew up in the cargo hole. Something definitely blew up. Uh -oh. And it's... In two pieces, one is smaller than the other and falling slower because it's smaller. Mm -hmm. But I'd imagine that'd be the tail. It's weird because the smaller. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I was just thinking, I was trying to think back to like all the like. You know, the old World War II clips where you see, like, because they brought cameramen onto those B-52 bomber things. Mm -hmm. They would always show, like, one going down and it always split in half or something. Yeah. And I was trying to remember, like, which one fell faster. And I was like, well, the tail would fall slower because it's smaller and shit. But then I was like, well, those fucking big wingspans kind of make it fall like tissue paper. Yeah, really? I don't know. Yeah. And and uh, I can't like visualize it in my head, but mm -hmm. basically they're saying two pieces, both were absolutely on fire. One was burning way stronger than the other, and we picked it up on our radar. We saw it. The tanker crew were worried that they had witnessed an aircraft explode, and they're like, maybe people are in trouble, and so they proceeded to the location where the fireballs had appeared to fall into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And they attempted to contact U.S. Navy stations at Manila, but they couldn't get through for whatever reason. So they continued searching for anyone in distress just on their own. But they were unable to find any trace of the falling objects or any people maybe that had like parachuted out. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any like signs of distress, no flares, no parachutes, like nothing. Yeah. And they searched for five and a half hours. Like they were dead set on seeing what happened here because they really were scared and worried that they saw a, a fucking plane explode. Yeah. So we can assume that there wasn't any visibility issues because the captain of the tanker noted that the weather was quote, moonlight, clear atmosphere, quarter covered sky by small cumulus evenly distributed. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a nice fairly Why clear... Do you, read it? You, you wrote it down like a recipe. I know! <laughs> Plated well into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> so it was a nice, fairly clear, calm night. So they could clearly see what they saw in the sky. They, on, on the water, it was visible. So they mm -hmm. wouldn't have like missed wreckage or anything. So, um, yeah, just straight up vanished. Yeah. Having found no sign of distress or a wreckage, the tanker crew assumed that the explosion must have been the result of a military or naval exercise. So they resumed their original course, and they finally made contact with Manila to report what they saw. Because, again, we're in the Western Pacific, as we know. Cold War, Vietnam War. Yeah. U.S. operations all over the place. And uh, God knows whatever else is happening. Yeah. Over there. <laughs> the shit show. Yeah. Yeah. Tensions are high. A spokes spokesman at the rescue effort command post in Guam said that as the time passed with no sign of the aircraft, quote, more credence is given to the possibility that the tanker may have seen the missing aircraft explode in flight. 
Yeah, I think they fucking did. <laughs> did Tanker? Be quite honest. I know it seems that way. Yeah. D-Tanker crew had no luck finding any remnants of the super constellation, and neither did anybody else searching for the plane. No trace of wreckage or debris has ever been recovered. During their search in the first few days, there was a couple of, like, I guess, like, false hopes. Uh, there would be people who were like, oh, we, we've spotted some debris, and they would send in vessels to go and look at it and every time it was like driftwood and stuff oh okay so there was a couple times when they were like yes yeah we think we found something and it's wood wood because no wreckage or debris has ever been found it was impossible for officials to determine exactly what happened aboard the super constellation or if this explosion even was the super constellation the executive vice president of operations at T Flying Tiger Line stated that experts considered it impossible for an explosion of the magnitude witnessed to occur on the super constellation in the course of a normal operation. So they're saying that there's nothing powerful enough on board that could completely blow it apart. And... This means, quote, something violent must have happened. So that, so that's all kind of hinting towards like the sabotage. Sabotage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plus, this plane was properly certified. It's regularly inspected the whole nine yards. Like this was a very airworthy plane. Yeah. And again, Flying Tiger Line is basically in existence at this point for the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force. So they're like anal <laughs> about these planes being in peak flying condition. I will not stand for you to make anal jokes about the U.S. Navy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you pictured what you did, that's on you. And that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to judge, judge some anal. That's fine. A bunch of seamen want to get on a boat together. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. So, yes, they're saying this plane, if it exploded and it was at the magnitude witnessed by these tanker crews, well, yeah, that was sabotage because there's literally nothing on board that could have done that. Plus, yeah, yeah. even the passengers are like searched really well mm -hmm. before they get on. So they're like, what the fuck happened to cause an explosion like that? Yeah, they're like, the, there's not enough. Fuel, like the fuel wouldn't erupt like that so i don't know the airline said sabotage of some kind was purely speculation but they were considering it and that there is no evidence to support this angle basically because they have no evidence to look at there's no plane yeah, yeah. so <laughs> they were also open and to the fact that they're con open to the fact and considering that Two of their planes being involved in violent incidents on the same day could be a horrible coincidence. And mm -hmm. maybe the fate of Flight 739 was a tragic accident. And then the accident of the cargo plane in Alaska maybe was some sort of careless operation on the pilot's end. Yeah. I'm always that guy that's like the buzzkill who goes, shit like this happens. It, it's it does true. fucking happen. Like coincidences like, exist someone saw shit it's just weird because so. it's like part of the same mission yeah to they take off at the same time mm -hmm. like the exact same time go two totally different ways and they both have like a fiery end yeah like steph are you listening can you please look into the stars on this day was something happening it would cause planes to just explode. Mars took over for a little bit there. <laughs> I mean, it could. What are planes mainly made out of? Like metal? Mars. Mars rules iron, I believe. And isn't like Mars like the planet of war or something? Yes. Okay, there you go. I don't know. Oh. Staff? <laughs> Conflict, maybe. Yeah. I thought Saturn had something to do with war, though. 
Saturn's also kind of like an asshole planet. I'm ruled by Saturn, so explains a lot. (laughs) I'm ruled by Saturn and Pisces. I'm confusing. (laughs) So, after eight days of searching for missing flight 739, it was called off. Searched eight days. Meticulous. Didn't find shit. Mm-hmm. In total, the search had covered more than 144,000 square miles of ocean. That's 370,000 kilometers. That's a fuck ton of fucking That's area to look. Insane amount of ocean. And this makes it one of the largest search efforts to ever take place in the Pacific to this day. This was 1962. Cab determined that based on the tanker's observations of an explosion occurring at the approximate time and location which coincided with the estimated position of flight 739, it's most likely the super constellation exploded midair, but because, quote, no portion of the structure has been recovered, it is impossible to determine whether a mechanical slash structural failure or sabotage occurred in flight. If such a failure did occur, it can be reasonably assumed that it happened suddenly and without warning to crew, unquote. And this is because no emergency messages were received at all. Mm-hmm. No indication of trouble was ever uh, radioed. The cab accident report concluded, quote, It is therefore the opinion of the board that this witnessed phenomena was, li- was most likely N6921C in the process of demolishment. A summation of all relevant factors tend to indicate that the aircraft was destroyed in flight. However, due to the lack of any substantiating evidence, the board is unable to state with any degree of certainty the exact fate of N6921C. Yeah. So, like, they... Because they would do, like, a bunch of, like, crazy forensics... Oh, yeah. CSI stuff on all these little parts they pick up and, like... Yeah. Meanwhile, it's like, we don't have anything for you. What do you think happened? Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know what the guy in the boat say. Yeah, what did the guys in the tanker say? Yeah, I 100% believe them. Because they were really earnest about it. Yeah, and they even... And they even said they went and searched for like five and a half hours to see what the fuck... Because it must have been so alarming. Plus, they also said that it was so bright that it lit up the the whole deck of this tanker mm-hmm. so it must have just been like a holy fucking shit moment yeah did we just witness an absolute tragedy yeah imagine like that's gonna be so terrifying because they that plane like i wonder like how high up it would be from relative relative to the tanker i guess it maybe even when it was coming down maybe that's when it lit it up as well or something but like you know, a plane really high up in the sky blows up, like, you're gonna see, like, a little dot, but their whole deck lit up. Mm-hmm. So it must have, because, again, there is about an hour and eight minutes unaccounted for of Flight 739, because an hour and eight minutes before this explosion, they, Captain Thomas had given his, um status report Mm -hmm. and at that point he had received approval to be at eighteen thousand feet altitude Mm -hmm. so like i don't really know how helpful that is uh it sounds like it's pretty high up but not like so high yeah but again we don't have any sort of um status reports updates so we don't know if maybe something happened within the flight that like cut out radio communication or like seized mechanical um, operation, so then it was like going down mm-hmm. and then exploded. Yeah, closer to the ocean. Like who knows? Mm-hmm. And that could explain why it was so bright. Yeah. Or because it was such a clear night, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Can it just seem so bright? That's also true. Yeah, like like those um, 
because it was like local time mid midnight. Yeah. It was like twelve thirty in the morning. Yeah, I've I've heard of like, I'm sure everyone's kind of seen those like videos where like someone's on an oil rig or something or on a tanker ship in the middle of the ocean. Like there's no light, and like you can't see in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And I remember if there's no moon, yeah. Yeah, and I remember some some guy telling a story about how he was like walking from one section to like just a small section a little bit away from him, but he forgot his flashlight and the door shut behind him. So all the light went away and oh he's like, I nearly shat myself. It's so dark. Cause yeah. he's like, it's so dark. You fall overboard. You're just dead. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I just like, it took me forever to get to the other section. Cause I was just like shuffling my feet. Yeah. And, like you just can't see anything. It's just, you're blind. Oh God. It's yeah. And Oh, that's just so scary. So yeah, even like a tiny beam of light would illuminate quite a bit if it's that dark. Firefly probably looks like a high beam at that point. Yeah, and it was there was moonlight. I don't. It wasn't like a full moon or anything. I don't think Mm -hmm. so. You would have some light, but and then whatever light I guess is coming from the tanker. But yeah, I feel like if there is an explosion that was this dramatic. It would light up quite a bit. Yeah, it would definitely catch your attention. The 107 people on board the Super Constellation have never been recovered. They are missing to this day, naturally presumed dead. Mm -hmm. The total lack of wreckage and the fact that this aircraft was military-related left the victims' families in the dark. And these families had been seeking answers for their loved ones' disappearances for decades. And the families of all these soldiers and the crew are like often forgot about because mm-hmm. like what happened what happened to the flight it disappeared that's so crazy yeah meanwhile there's a family of 107 people who are like fucking cool anyway is nobody going to give us any sort of answers or you're just going to hide behind the fact that it was a military plane so you can't talk about it yeah but like our, our fucking family <laughs> our family members are on that plane yeah and they're just gone on top of that, the families were frustrated because the people lost in Flight 739 were never honored, like most soldiers were who died in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And this is because their deaths didn't occur in the combat zone. So their names were never recognized in any way. That's terrible. I know. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. 93 U.S. soldiers. And just because you didn't die in, in combat in and the zone. Three uh, South Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The founder of Wreaths Across America had heard about this story, about how the families are like, yeah, apparently the U.S. Army and Navy and everyone doesn't give a fuck that 93 of our men have just vanished in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And so Wreaths Across America was like, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. I will help you. And they created a memorial for the victims. The memorial was unveiled to the families of the victims along with a rifle statue and a wreath laying on February 22nd, 2021. Oh, okay. These. We got around to it. 2021. Yeah, it's That's so That's 59 late. years. That's like one of those like heartbreaking like people are... People are in the like late stage of life. And yes. It's like one of the like last things they get to see. Yes. It's like, thank you, but like also like, you know. <laughs> and there was photos of the family, yeah. but it's like siblings of the people who would have died in the crash. Mm-hmm. And the siblings would have been young at the time. And they're old now. They're yeah. old ladies and old men. Mm-hmm. And like the parents of the men that would have died. They're long dead. Yeah. Like 59 years for any sort of acknowledgement. Yeah. And not even acknowledgement from um, like America, like the US. It's just this like nonprofit. Across America, yeah. So uh, this memorial was unveiled in Columbia Falls, Maine. The monument displays the engraving of each of the 93 uh, US Army soldiers as well as the names of the 11 flight crew members. The inscription reads, quote, Missing in action, presumed dead, 
Flying Tiger Line Flight 739 went missing on March 16, 1962, with 93 U.S. Army soldiers on board. These men and their flight crew perished in what would become one of the biggest aviation mysteries out of the Vietnam War era. The names of those who gave their lives and who remain missing are inscribed here so that they will be said aloud and their memory will live on. Unquote. It was, like, seen as an amazing achievement for the families and the loved ones of the victims because, like I said, it's 59 years later and they had been trying their best to be vocal about how apparently no one gives a fuck that these 93 soldiers are dead. Yeah. Uh, But it was, like I said, erected by Wreaths Across America, which is the nonprofit. The United States has never officially recognized the victims for their service their names haven't been added to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington. Nothing like that. That's that's really fucking gross. There is a f- few senators, I believe, who have been talking about this mm-hmm. and trying to, I don't know if it's to get their names put on the plaque, the memorial plaque or whatever, but there has been like people trying to bring it up like... This is pretty crazy. Like, sure, they didn't die in combat, but like they were still soldiers. Yeah, they were sort of soldiers, and they died in duty. Yeah, they, exactly. Like, what the? That. That's just annoying to me. That it really is, is upsetting. It's it, like you you put the uniform on comes with a risk of doing that. You and you died tr- in a different area, so you don't get recognized. Yeah, you weren't in combat zone. Yeah. Even though, like you Why, said, you you're do on- that with cops all the time. Cops. Cops die on the line of duty from like a heart attack sitting on the side of the road, and like I'm not diminishing that. Yeah. Like that's that's terrible. But yeah. they get recognized. They recognize them. They say died in the line of duty, and there's like a memorial page, all this mm-hmm. stuff. You can't do that for people in in fatigues going to go going to the air base. Literally going to South Vietnam to relieve other soldiers for training. Yeah. And fighting. The Viet Cong. Literally. That's why you're going. Yeah. <laughs> and, I don't get it. And this is 62. So, like, the war in Vietnam has been going on at this point for, like, six or seven years, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, like, these soldiers probably had already been there and were it, it, training. And it, it's sort of like a, a, like, relay, basically. Mm-hmm. Of like, okay, let's keep switching. Relieve people. Have them come back. Like, imagine trying to defend not putting them on. Like, what are you going to say? Sorry, I, I don't agree. We shouldn't recognize them. They died in transit. Like, yeah, what are you, you? going to say? Like, what, what rational argument against it do you have? And then imagine how these families feel. Yeah. Who are like 93 soldiers, U.S. soldiers. And then, like you said, there's the three South Vietnamese mm-hmm. yeah, soldiers like, who well, also I died. Doubt the... <laughs> no, no, they... they they wouldn't. No, like I said, there's 93 names inscribed. Yeah. The, the three um, South Vietnamese weren't put on the memorial plaque but mm-hmm. still 107 people went that's missing ridiculous yeah so that's why the families were like what the fuck man so like it's at least they got something wreaths across america was like this is really messed up we will erect a memorial mm-hmm. uh you have at least a place to come to pay respects their names are memorialized somewhere but yeah just crazy that the United States themselves have never even doing a ceremony, even just doing like a fucking pour one out, man. Like nothing. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, it's been what sixty-one years. At this point, sixty-one years. Like Lord. So uh, yes, to quote Jesse Beckett, who wrote an article for War History Online about the memorial. The mystery of what happened to the 107 people aboard the 1962 flight may never be solved, but for the families, the newly unveiled memorial will immortalize their missing relatives. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is the tale of the disappearance of Flight 739 or possibly the explosion of Flight 739. I mean... I'm going with explosion. And I I agree. I think that the crew on the tanker, it's just, it lines up so well. I don't think that's a coincidence Mm -hmm. 
and and if it is true that it exploded midair, it makes it the deadliest single aircraft aviation accident involving a super constellation. Yeah. Yeah, explosion. Yeah. But then it still begs the question, what caused this explosion that every official um official investigator officials involved with the airline is saying literally there was nothing on that flight that could have made that such an extreme explosion Mm -hmm. so like was it sabotage i mean who knows i mean like i could see it being sabotage especially because you got you had several stops near the actual war zone so like i mean sabotage is a fucking thing like real so i mean Mm -hmm having them work on the airbase and planting something isn't too out of the ordinary. It'd be wild, but I could see that happening. Me too. Yeah. They're isolated airbases too. Like these islands are so small. Yeah. The only thing that kind of makes me go like, well, like if there was sabotage, it would have to happen from within is because like the other flight took off and also was nowhere near the combat zone and, fire so yeah and i don't know if it caught fire then crashed or crashed and then caught fire yeah either way. and again no one knows what led up no or at least no one's talking about or reported on what led up to that one in, in alaska mm-hmm. so it's still like yeah it's very odd it is weird and and i agree with you like sure coincidences do happen that's absolutely true but sometimes they don't yeah <laughs> and like what the fuck yeah this one's weird though because like the mystery to me really is the like nothing on that plane should have been able to erupt like that. Uh, so like that's where my I'm like that's a fucking weird one because mm-hmm. I don't because I mean like I I think I understand what they mean like they're like even if the fuel tank exploded, it wouldn't have been that. It wouldn't have been like you wouldn't have been like whoa in a fucking yeah. fireball a blinding. F- explosion yeah you were to see flames right so and to steadily be brightly burning and split the plane in half to split the plane in half and still be burning as it crashes into the ocean like just a flaming ball yeah i was going like oh well maybe someone shot it down during like because some fucking interference but like i don't think so uh the plane would have seen it. <laughs> the planes usually see that. Yeah, or and they it wouldn't. It's not Star Wars. Like you're not getting one good shot in, and then it explodes into nine thousand pieces. Like the captain would have had time to be like, "We are being fired at." Yeah. Like it's it was something like an RPG. They, they would have had like a <laughs> yeah. They would have had like a, a missile lock or something warning, being like, "Look out! You're about to get." fucking shot down over the pacific and and like i had said in the beginning of this episode the super constellation is literally made to have early warning air signs and stuff like it's Mm -hmm. it's designed to be a a military plane like yeah and there's a crew of 11 people yeah all maintaining and monitoring this plane like it's just crazy that it happened so fast that no distress signal or anything was ever seen yeah or felt or definitely caught them off off guard yeah yeah i don't know i think i think something i think it stinks uh, yeah something stinks cia's behind it again cia i really don't think so but (laughs) um also imagine how lucky those four flight attendants feel i know they got off um, they were complaining yeah, they were like, I fucking hate this thing. Thanks for the one seat between the four of us. It's 1962. You know they have to wear heels on that fucking You're damn right they do. Plane. And they're probably like, my feet hurt. I can't, We have to rotate between the three of us in this one shitty seat. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the fucking air mattress or whatever it was, mattress. And you know everyone on the plane was miserable. Nobody wanted to be going to that fucking war. No. They're all just a bunch of guys just like, fucking, I'm a fucking mechanic at home. What the fuck am I doing? so those four women are probably like oh my god Mm-hmm. that's gotta be a pucker pucker moment and just hearing that the next day yeah and being like wait what's missing 
I I'd literally like, was I'd, on that flight. I'd be like, I don't, uh, I don't want to go to work today. <laughs> you know, I'll, maybe I'll drive home. Um, I cheated death, and I think I'll stay home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Years before Final Destination came out, but they still knew. Still knew. Mm-hmm. Thirty-eight years before Final Destination. Yeah. I don't know if it was thirty-eight. I'm wrong. I think it was. Going for it. I think it came out in two thousand. So, uh, yeah. A side note here: Flying Tiger Line ceased operations in nineteen eighty-eight when it was bought by FedEx and merged with their air carriers in eighty-nine. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, that's fucking sick. So technically still exists. It's just FedEx now. Because, hmm. flying, like I said, fly, Flying Tiger Line was basically made because it was the Cold War. So I'm going to make the assertion then. Hi, Kobe. That Castaway is a sequel. Okay. Heavily inspired by this one. Your brain is a weird place. It's dark most of the time and really not active. Kobe wants your attention. Oh, well, you didn't give it Kobe, to Kobe, I'm working right now. I will aggressively pet you later. He can't wait. Um, You can do it before <laughs> you think because that's it. That's all I got for you. I agree with um what you're saying. I think it definitely exploded. I think the crew saw that explosion. Uh, I think personally sabotage is probably a part of it. Mm-hmm. I just... It's just too much of a coincidence and the fact that the explosion was so big. But I don't know. Maybe there's a piece we haven't like put together. Maybe we're missing something. So if you're out there listening and you're like, I got a theory or I think it was this, let us know. You're going to be on Instagram anyway because you're going to be looking at the map of all of these stops. Mm-hmm. If you think it was aliens, tell me. Yeah, if you think it was aliens or whatever the fuck you think. CIA, I don't know. Dark Adaptation Podcast on Instagram. Let us know. Uh, I used quite a few sources for this episode. If you want to check those out, you can go to darkadaptationpodcast.ca. And while you're there, you can support us by buying us a coffee or checking out our merch. We still have gorgeous embroidered patches. But if you can't support us by buying a coffee or merch, that's okay. Just consider rating and reviewing our show wherever you're listening because that really helps too. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye-bye.